This is episode 543 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are 20 Unexpected Ways Zip Ties Will Save Your Life in an Emergency and Don't Be Fooled, SHTF May Not Look Like You Expected To. Hey, I'm Todd Spolveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 543. Hey, one quick announcement before I jump into these articles. If you live in the Houston, Katy, Cypress area of Texas, uh, I'm going to be doing a series. I'm going to be at church. So m- many of you know that I am a, I'm a pastor, right? And so I'm going to be doing a series on preparedness. It's called Joseph, A Prepared Life. And that's going to be starting April 7th. And that'll go April 7th, the 14th. And then we'll break for Easter and then the 28th and then the first week in May. So if you are in the Houston area, and you would like to attend, I'd love for you to come and check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes for the church website. All right, so it's been a long time since I've done two articles on the podcast, and the reason I'm doing two is because these are a little bit shorter articles, and they're two different, (laughs) completely different articles. So this first one comes to us from readynutrition.com, And it's entitled, 20 Unexpected Ways Zip Ties Will Save Your Life in an Emergency. Now, there's a cool video here in the website article. There's also other links that you can link to. But zip ties are one of those things that there's just a lot of uses for if you can think creatively. And uh, like I said, there's a video here. But I've also seen other videos where they use zip ties in many different ways. So let's go ahead and blast through these, and then I'm going to share with you one of the ways where a zip tie really saved my butt one uh, one vacation. So let's go ahead and do that. Again, coming to us from readynutrition.com, and the article is entitled, 20 Unexpected Ways Zip Ties Will Save Your Life in an Emergency. Preppers may be known for their beans, bullets, and band-aids, but in a survival situation, they may also want to be known for their vast knowledge of zip-tie use to get them out of hairy situations. In past articles, we have covered information on how to use common household items like rubber bands, bungee cords, PVC, and tarps to use in an emergency situation. Today, we are going to discuss the usefulness of zip-ties in an emergency situation. So zip ties have multiple uses in many situations, including emergency scenarios. These little guys should be added to preparedness supplies for the home, the vehicle, and for extended emergency situations. Most zip ties are designed for indoor use and will deteriorate over time in direct sunlight. Therefore, look for durability, especially weather resistant or UV resistant or UV stable. A point to keep in mind with zip ties is that they tend to weaken in extreme temperatures. According to a zip tie manufacturer, ties withstand temperatures to 185 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 85 degrees Celsius, and have a melting point of 495 degrees Fahrenheit or 257 degrees Celsius. Except for barbed design cable ties, 
which withstand temperatures to 167 degrees Fahrenheit and have a melting point of 425 degrees Fahrenheit. With that in mind, for emergency planning, purchase industrial strength zip ties or heat stabilized nylon as these tend to last longer compared to others. Now weight can also be a factor in weakening its strength. Zip tie tensile strength is the amount of weight a zip tie can hold safely without breaking. For example, a single zip tie with a tensile strength of 120 pounds will break if it is used to hold something weighing over 120 pounds. Did you know they make extra large 120 tensile zip ties? These would be useful for long-term emergency situations. Now because zip ties come in a variety of sizes, you should consider purchasing different sizes to meet different scenarios. The average length of a zip tie is 7 to 12 inches, but the sizes range from 4 to 52 inches. So let's take a look at 20 plus ways of utilizing zip ties in an emergency. Number one is shoelaces. We all know that when a shoelace breaks, you're up the creek without a paddle. So using multiple zip ties will work as a makeshift shoelace until you can replace it. Number two, makeshift snow chains. We found this idea on Instructables. While these certainly aren't a replacement for the real deal and will likely break off shortly after you get your car moving, if you're stuck in the snow, this could be what you need to get you out and yourself out of danger. Likewise, you can fasten zip ties to your boots for traction if you are walking on ice or slick wet rocks. Number three, as trail markers. If you are in an area you aren't familiar with, in the backcountry, or marking a path for your group to follow, mark your trail with some brightly colored zip ties. What about make a snare? Catch some game like squirrel and rabbits with this snare made from zip ties. Likewise, this could also be used as a mouse and rat trap too. And guys, like I said, there are links spread out through all of these here where you can click on and see uh, the zip ties in action, right? So number five is a makeshift belt loop. Attach gear or items you want to keep handy to your belt loops or attach zip ties to hold items on molly webbing for bug out bags. Number six, medical emergencies. Zip ties can be used as a way to hold bandages in place or even make a makeshift splint. Number seven, make a small livestock enclosure. This would be great for chickens with PVC, chicken wire, and zip ties. Granted, this may not last the test of time, but it could be useful in a pinch. Number eight, fasten tarps for an emergency shelter. If you have a tarp or two in your preps, you will want some zip ties to go along with it. They can help fasten to a tarp for emergency shelters. Likewise, you can insulate your emergency shelter by securing limbs and branches with zip ties. So guys, just think about that. Think about being in an emergency situation and needing to put up a shelter very quickly and you have these zip ties and you can just go to town really quick, quick, right? And get these, you know, attached to limbs or you know, tree limbs or, or whatever. Uh, that would be just a really great way of doing that. All right, moving on with number nine, haul large game. When dragging large game like deer out of ravines or crevices, an extra large zip tie looped in each of the deer's hocks created handles and is a great way to get a grip on the buck's tail end and keep from stinking up a hunter's hands. Number 10, quick fix for gear repair. This is perhaps the most common zip tie use, but an important one at that. Number 11, 
handcuffs. Hopefully you will never have to use zip ties in this manner, but it's good to know that they can be used for home security. Purchase larger, wider zip ties for more holding power. Number 12, garden stakes. Zip ties can especially come in handy in the garden. Simply loosely fasten the zip tie to a stake plants or stake plant like tomatoes, squash, and other vining plants to train them to grow upright. Number 13, food storage. To prevent open food sources like rice and beans from succumbing to food enemies like oxygen, moisture, and rodents, use a zip tie to secure them. Simply drill a hole in your five gallon plastic container and secure it with a zip tie. This keeps your preps secure and safe. Number 14, zipper hack. Got a zipper malfunction? Loop a zip tie through the end of your zipper, then zip up your pants. Hook the loop onto the button, then button your pants, and voila, zipper crisis averted. All right, so that would have to be, to go through a zipper, that would have to be, or at least uh, the end of a zipper, a really thin one there on that one. Number 15, as a camping necessity. Use a zip tie to fix broken hooks and loops on a tent, or use one to secure your camp tablecloth to the table in windy conditions. Number 16, hang tools. Loop a zip tie through the hole in the handle of your broom and dustpan, shovels, and other hand tools. They'll be easier to hang and you'll be able to hang multiple tools from each hook or nail. Number 17, create a hunting blind. One hunter made the suggestion and said to use zip ties to pull back and secure obstructing foliage from shooting lanes. This makes for a more natural looking hunting blind. Number 18, repair backpack straps. If your bug out bag strap breaks, repair it with a zip tie. Number 19, home security. The garage door is one of the easiest ways that thieves break into homes. Threading a plastic zip tie through the emergency release latch of the automatic door opener can prevent such break-ins. Read more here. Now this should be used during emergencies only as there is a federal code UL325 that indicates that zip ties can't be used to secure garages. Okay, so I've never heard of that one. That's crazy. So I don't know, you might have to look into that one. Why wouldn't you be able to secure your garage door with a zip tie? That seems kind of crazy, I don't know. Number 20, hands-free lighting. Use a zip tie to attach a mini flashlight to a pair of safety glasses and use whatever you need your hands free, such as climbing into an attic or doing repairs in unlit spaces. All right, so I guess that's like a makeshift headband light there if you, uh, if you need one of those. All right, guys, and like I said, there is a video here that you can, you can check out. All right, so I wanna share my story because this is, this is a crazy one here. So years ago, my son was on a missionary trip with uh, Campus, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, right? And so he went up to Branson, Missouri, and they had this, this missionary work where they would go into the, uh, the community, they would get a job, and they would minister to people and, and all of this stuff, right? Okay, so we decided to go up there and visit him during the summertime. This was his first trip that he was up there and so we all just you know we wanted to get away for a, a week so we took a trip up there and everything was fine uneventful we were going through the mountains going through all of that it was it was a good time so we get there to the hotel 
we I stop, I get the room keys, I go to park, and I I you know I'm parking in the space. I don't like the way that I lined up, so I back up, and then I move the uh, the gear shift back into drive to move forward, and my gear shift was like free flowing. There was no, it wasn't catching, it wasn't connecting, you know, the transmission, it wasn't moving it from park or reverse or anything like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, what in the world just happened? And so uh, it was completely dead, right? So the car was on, but I had no transmission. And so I put it back into park, although it really didn't matter, and turned it off. And we were able to push it into the parking space. So I'm freaking out. I'm here. We are in Branson, Missouri. Uh, there's no real dealerships. I started looking through the dealerships. No real dealerships that I can call. The, the nearest one is in another town far away. So I would have had to get someone to, you know, tow the the van over over to another city and have it done over there. And here we are. We're on vacation, and it was crazy. So that evening we had a. Uh, we already had reservations, so we took a taxi to go get that taken care of, and then you know we come back that next day. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I, you know, here I am, like I said, on vacation with uh, places that I just I don't trust the mechanics around. I don't know the mechanics. Who knows? One of the guys was like, "I can take a look at it, and you know, it, it could be this and this." And he was already telling me big old things that it could be. So I called one of the guys that I know that one of the guys that worked on my vehicles and I just told him what was going on if he had any ideas. And he was like, man, I, I don't know. And so we, you know, we kind of talked a little bit and then we just kind of, you know, we hung up and I was just kind of just really fretting over what was going to happen. And then he called me back probably about 30 minutes later on and he said, hey, I got an idea for you. I got something that I want you to do. So go look under the the driver's side door or driver's side tire, right? So if you can turn the tire, you know, inward a little bit so that you can get underneath there. There is a little wire that connects to so the, your gear shift that connects to I guess this lever that puts the gear in or puts the car in in gear, right? And he said, there's this little plastic cap that goes right over it. And I have found that that little plastic cap gets worn worn out and it, it just pops off. I'm like, it can't be that simple. So we get underneath it. And luckily, you know, I have flashlights. I have some tools. I have things like that because, you know, I just have those things underneath underneath the seats. And uh, I, I saw what he was talking about, but I couldn't reach it. So my son was able to do it. And so he put it on there. And we were able to put the, the vehicle in reverse, and sure enough, it worked. But the problem was is that it was popping off. And so I'm like, man, we found it. I called him back. I found it. Thank you. But it keeps popping off. And he says, man, see if you can get some zip ties and, and run it around there. It just needs to be tight enough to stay on there for you to be able to get home. So we asked the, uh, the hotel, and they had some zip ties. They gave us a whole bunch of zip ties. So we get underneath there. My son, he puts about three zip ties on there and sure enough, it stayed. So I was able to put it in reverse, put it back into drive and like, we're good. So we didn't drive it that week that we were there. I went ahead and and rented a vehicle, but 
I was able to, we were able to drive it home. So when we were ready to go, my dad, our parent, my parents were with us. We dropped off the vehicle and I was in the van. I'm like, I'm going to get this thing going and I'm not going to take it out of park at all. Right. So this is the way it's going to go. And so all the way from Branson, Missouri. So we, we go, we drop off the vehicle and I'm in park and I'm trying, I'm looking at ways to, so that I don't have to reverse or anything like that. Right. And it worked out. We got all the way to Texas and finally needed to get some gas and I did put it into, and I was really worried about being on, you know, in the mountains and, and having to get underneath the vehicle and put those zip ties up because we were, we were propping it up as well, really to get in there to, to secure it. And so, uh, I, we had even stopped at a Walmart and bought a nicer jack so that we could jack it up, but I didn't want to be doing it on some of these. Uh, you know, the hills and, and the mountains, there were some steep grades there that we were going up and down. And so we got all the way to Texas. We even went through you know, like Whataburger, you know, to go eat. Uh, Whataburger is a fast food place for those of you that aren't in Texas. And uh, we you know got all the way home. And sure enough, man, we, we made it. But it was because of zip ties that saved the day. And having a little bit of knowledge, I actually wrote an article on that one. And uh, so you know, I, I'm going to link to it in the show notes if you want to go check it out. I thought it was uh, worthy enough because there was, you know, people that had the knowledge that can help you out. And here we are so, you know, hundreds of miles away and we're able to get underneath and fix it, right? And so it, it worked out with just some very cheap zip ties. We're able to get home and get that vehicle to a mechanic that I trusted. All right. So let me go ahead and jump into the next article. It comes to us from AmericanPreppersOnline.com. And it's been a while since we read an article from American Preppers Online. Um, This one is entitled, Don't Be Fooled. SHTF may not look like you expect it to. So let me go ahead and jump into this one. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. While considering what subject I should write on today, I was struck by a few articles I read on other sites and how they seem to envision SHTF. While it's true that none of us will know for sure just what it would look like, I have a few ideas that I would like to share with you today. Now grab a cup of coffee, my friend, have a seat while we visit. It seems to me that any country who wanted to hurt any country and or people would not pick a nice warm sunny day to do it. Instead, they would choose a time when they could inflict as much damage as possible. In this day and time, I would think that would come in the form of an EMP on the coldest day of the year, a weekday when people were away from the safety of their homes and families. Why an EMP, you ask? Simply because it could inflict the most damage with a minimal amount of cost and casualties on their side. Depending on how and where it was launched from, it could allow complete anonymity in order to prevent immediate retribution from the country being attacked as well as the rest of the world. But how could such a thing happen with all the advanced early warning systems most countries have now? That part is so scarily simple that it boggles the mind. By firing the missile from an anchored ship located in any bay as close to the center of the country as possible, this would allow the missile plenty of time to reach its detonation height before authorities could react. Simple, clean, and efficient. I am always concerned when I see preppers who seem to be preparing as though it would be nothing more than an extended camping trip 
in the middle of the summer. I somehow find it hard to believe that it will be anything like that. I would suggest that the odds of it happening will be much higher in the harshest part of the winter on the east coast where states are highly populated. Many people there would die in short order if they were to lose all electricity during a harsh cold spell. Yes, I know that many of them have gas heating, but it takes electricity for the gas companies to be able to supply that gas. Many of them are using advanced electronic systems and computers to control the flow and without it, it would simply stop. Another option is fireplaces. The trouble is that many people have switched to gas fireplaces because they are cleaner. Those that do have wood-burning fireplaces will not have nearly enough wood to get them through the winter while using it to heat their homes and cook with 24-7. Now, with so many people looking for wood, including those with gas fireplaces, once you're able to locate it, you will need to store it all indoors to keep it from being stolen. The price of any wood will quickly skyrocket with so many people in need of it. Most of those who do have it will not take cash as it would quickly become useless. If the cold didn't get the unprepared, then starvation, violence, and disease would. It's not a very pretty picture, but it is the most likely scenario. Now, when considering your preps, you shouldn't plan for a picnic, but for the fight of your life. Stock up on as much wood as you can and look for alternative sources of heat production, such as kerosene, propane, and others. Keep plenty of severe cold weather clothing and boots on hand at all times. Get extra stuff at the thrift store. The packs of hand warmers and foot warmers that you can buy at the stores are well worth adding to your preps. Just remember, warmers like food and over-the-counter medication need to be checked for expiration dates and replaced. Plan for the worst and you will always be prepared for whatever SHTF looks like. No, SHTF will not look like an extended camping trip. It will most likely look like your worst nightmare. And if you're not prepared, then all your prepping will have been for nothing. Think before you prep and you will be ready for anything. Well, that's it for today, my friend, and I hope that you have found today's post useful. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and stay prepared. God bless America. All right, guys, so I really wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, article, and there's a lot of things here that I want to just touch on very, very briefly. First, I want to talk about the fact that gas companies, as they push out their gas, having the electricity run there, you know, pushing out the gas and uh, computers and stuff like that. I have also, I have heard the opposite. And so I guess there needs to be a little bit more research into this. I have heard that gas companies use natural gas to run generators to push out their, uh, you know, their, whatever the gas, the gas through the lines, right? So it's not just based on electricity. Now, it could be also connected to the internet, so that's a whole nother story there. But um, as far as needing power to be able to push out the gas through the lines, I think I have heard that gas companies use gas, natural gas, to run generators, and that's how they do that. So it might be the truth might be somewhere in between. It might be in some places they do use natural gas, and other places they use electricity. So, you know, that's one of those things to to consider and really one of those things that if someone knew or if you know someone who works for a natural gas company where, you know, maybe they're manning the lines and, and they're monitoring how things get pushed out to communities or neighborhoods, I'd really like to have some feedback because like I said, in my time running Prepper website, I have heard 
both both sides of that, right? And so it would be good to to truly know that because if you are if you do have gas that you're able to run your generators off of, then that would be you know that would be a really good scenario, right? To be in, involved with that. The other thing here is an EMP could, and I have read this before, easily, for instance, Houston, the port of Houston, has ships coming in all the time. And so do many other ports. There's no way that they can track every single container on a container ship. So one of the things that they have said is having a container with a missile, a nuclear missile in there that can be fired right from the deck of a ship that that could be something that could could be done and there would be no you know jet plane or anything like that that could stop that missile from from detonating because it would happen so fast especially like if it came into the port of Houston and was shot up in i believe somewhere over you know mid united states and would cause the most damage so you have that you know that it could be easy to do that the other thing that you need to know is that Recently, and this hasn't received a lot of play unless you are on like maybe some preparedness forums or uh, you're on some Facebook groups or whatever, that Donald Trump, President Trump signed an executive order to start hardening our electrical system against EMP. And so that's the first time any president has ever done something like that. You would have thought that they would have done this a long time ago. So that's good news because that means that the White House understands the threat of an EMP and they're willing to put a little bit of money to hardening our, you know, our grid. And really, I think the, the amount of money that it would cost to harden our grid against something like that is just pennies compared to what it would cost to get it back up again, right? And get it repaired if even you could do that. The only issue is we don't know how long it would take. I mean, this is an executive order, so it doesn't happen right away. There needs to be a little bit more understanding of how long it would take for the government to actually start hardening our grid to, you know, to an EMP. So the other thing that I want to say here is we've got to be careful. I mean, it's very easy to say if you prepare for the worst case scenario, if you prepare for EMP, then you're you're good, you're set for everything else. Here's the thing with that. A lot of people can't wrap their heads around that. And so if you are new to the podcast, maybe you're, you know, you've only listened to a couple of episodes and now you're listening to SHTF, EMPs, the end of the world, you know, we're going to be blasted back to, you know, the middle ages and all that kind of stuff. And, And you're hearing that it would be very hard to wrap your head around, oh my gosh, okay, so I need to go from not being prepared to being prepared for an EMP just just like that. And so we need to be very careful. And maybe we need to start backing off of the whole EMP, SHTF. And I know know that there are times where even when I write a title for the podcast, I'll put SHTF in there. And like I've mentioned before, I think in long term and short term, right? I think when, when I'm thinking about a topic or when I'm thinking about preparedness, I'm thinking, what can I do now? How can this help me now? And then does it apply? Does it have application for SHTF, right? And so I, I do that. That's the way kind of the way I operate. And that's really how I started 
when I started into preparedness, I started thinking about short term and also long term. But a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people are like, man, that is so overwhelming thinking about SHTF and I, I've got to stack up all of this preparedness and all of this food and water and blah, 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 gear and, and all of that. And that's just sometimes I think that's so much that we do anyone who is looking into preparedness a disservice of getting prepared for you know two weeks, a month, three months because we're talking about SHTF. We're talking about the end of the world, the zombies and you know all of that, right? And so I, I think sometimes it'd be smart to kind of back off of those things. Now I've I've said it before when I link to articles on EMP and bug out bags those are going to be so popular on Prepper website. Sometimes I even don't want to do it, man, because I know that people are going to click on those articles and they're going to miss some of the other great articles that I'm linking to because that is the sexy stuff. That is the people. And maybe it's because an EMP will, it's so, and people realize what that would do, right? And that's so fearful. You're like, how can I mitigate my world if there was an EMP, you know, how can I mitigate all the pain and the misery that that's going to cause? I, I want to learn as much as, as possible. But again, the issue is an EMP is one of those things that if it happened, first of all, we're not 100% sure what exactly would be killed off as far as electricity, right? We don't know if the grid would really go down. We don't know if vehicles would completely go down. We don't know if it would be just small, simple electronics. Maybe the bigger electronics would, would survive. So we really don't know all of that. They've done little tests here and there. They've done tests on vehicles. And I'll tell you, and I've read the, those articles here, the test on vehicles, the vehicles were able to continue working, right? At the very most, the, the damage that they received was some of the instruments on the instrument panel on the dashboard didn't work or maybe they turned off you're driving and they turned off so you just pull over to the side of the road stop the vehicle put it in park start it back up again and get moving again so there's so many different things out there we just got to be careful when we're talking about that can shtf happen yes has it happened in the history of the world yes have civil civilizations been you know have they collapsed and have they come back Yes. Right. And so that's one of the things that we always need to be or have in the back of our head that when we prepare, let's prepare for the things that are most common in our lives that can, you know, that can really cause some discomfort. Right. So maybe the power goes out for a couple of days. Maybe we lose our job. Maybe there's a medical emergency. You know, one reason why we need to pay down our debt and we need to be debt free and, and you know, have some money in the bank and, and things like that. You know, maybe for whatever there is a, a disruption, an oil disruption, uh, and oil prices go up, and you know those types of things start happening, and so things start costing more. Maybe there are just some things that you know life gets a little bit more difficult, but it's not full on SHTF. You know, the zombies are coming, and it's the end of the world. Go into your bunker, type you know type life. And so we really need to weigh all of that and be smart about all of it. I would rather if someone came to me and they were a brand new prepper and they said, like, Todd, what do I need to do to get prepared? The first thing I'm going to talk to them about is, you know, how much food do you have? How much water do you have? 
you know, how much do you have a way to cook that if you needed to? And, you know, what is your financial situation look like? Do you have a budget? Let's talk about these things first and, and let's start looking at some, some plans. Do you have a, you know, are you, are you able to defend your, yourself or, you know, do you have uh, a good lock on your front door, right? Uh, do you have a good lock on your back door? Do you have lights in the front of your home? So when someone comes to the front door that it lights up. You know, those types of things where you're better prepared if a hurricane was, you know, going to hit or if there was a, you know, whatever, a, a blizzard came and all the, the groceries, you know, people got to the grocery store before you were able to get to it. You know, how much food do you have in your home to be able to withstand, you know, a blizzard? Do you have three days a week, you know, maybe two weeks worth of, of food to be able to get through that? Those are the types of things that I'm going to be talking about first with someone. I'm not going to be talking about EMP, SHTF, zombies, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Now, should we talk about it? I think so. I think it helps us to to think a little bit, you know, that way, you know, and get, gets our mind thinking and juices flowing and whatever you, you know, whatever you want to call it. But should we be completely engulfed with it? No. And I think we just need to be careful. But I do appreciate this article, and like always, guys, I'm going to link to these articles in the show notes so you can go check them out. Again, the first one on the 20 unexpected ways to use zip ties from readynutrition.com, and then also the Don't Be Fooled SHTF May Not Look Like You Expected To from American Preppers Online are going to be linked in the show notes, and so you can go check them out. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 543. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.